You're listening to the Goop Podcast, made possible by our friends at Kettle One Botanical. One of my goals for the year is to spend more time with friends who I haven't seen nearly enough of. Preferably, these catch-ups happen over a good drink or two. For these occasions, I like to have our home bar stocked up with Kettle One Botanical. If you haven't tried it yet, it's vodka distilled with real botanicals. It has a pretty fresh taste and makes an excellent base for cocktails. If you're looking for recipe ideas, I highly suggest trying the Botanical Breeze or Lady Kombucha Cooler from Goop.com. The other reason we like Kettle One Botanical is because it's made with non-GMO grain and doesn't contain sugar or artificial sweeteners. They've got three varietals, cucumber and mint, grapefruit and rose, and peach and orange blossom. To shop for Kettle One Botanical, head to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. Hi again. Thanks for joining us. If this is your first time, here's what you can expect. Every Thursday and a bunch of Tuesdays coming up, Goop editors will be sitting down with thought leaders who are pushing boundaries in their fields. We'll talk to doctors, creatives, CEOs, and relationship experts. You'll hear me interviewing some of the people I admire most in this world, and you'll also hear a lot from my chief content officer at Goop, Elise Lunin. I love listening to Elise's interviews because she asks the smartest questions and really just listens. Today, Elise is sitting down with the very funny Abby Jacobson. Abby is one of the series creators, executive producers, and stars of the beloved Comedy Central show, Broad City. Her latest book is a funny and poignant collection of personal essays from a road trip across the states called I Might Regret This. It's written as a response to her breakup with her first major love. Abby's also an illustrator. She's made some adult-friendly coloring books, and her drawings punctuate this book. Abby stopped by the Goop office on a trip to L.A. and talked with Elise about humor, love, being a workaholic, and much more. This one is going to make you laugh. I think we like build up this thesis of like who we are Mm -hmm. and then it gets like shook by all these different things. So it got fully shaken when I fell in love with someone and then I was like, oh, this is like what life can be like and then it was like kind of shaken back to being like, well, fuck. Okay, time for today's chat with Abby Jacobson. I know you write about it in your book, but that must have been such a wild transition for you, and particularly in New York, to go from web series to, at least in LA, it felt like it was one of the most discussed things in the culture when it first came out. Like the show? Yeah. Oh, that's cool to hear. I think maybe we, clearly we talked about, we have mutual friends. We are in the same circles. So like- No, no, no. It was beyond that. Really? Because I feel like people didn't really know the show until maybe the third season. No. I feel like it, everyone was talking about it. All right. I'm going to, I- I love, well, you know what? It is New York, LA. Maybe it's, um, maybe I'm talking about more of like- Maybe the smile state phenomenon. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you're big Um, in Texas. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) It was a huge thing, but actual actually the transition from web to TV was like two and a half years, mm-hmm. three years. So it was slow. Like we sold a script and then that was at FX for a year and then we sold 
the script to Comedy Central and then rewrote it and made a pilot but only had the pilot and then you wait and then it get got picked mm-hmm. up and then that's like two and a half years and then you make the first season and that's like another year. So by the time it came out, it we had been like in this mode but it was just, it is also like what's happening now? Right. Our web series that like still hardly has any views. <laughs> <laughs> It was never viral and is still, like, there's just not a lot of people have seen it, (laughs) is all of a sudden on television. It's pretty incredible. When things take that long, and I don't know if it's It's a- It's not even that long, but yeah. Yeah, but it takes so long when you think about it. I mean, we, Kiki and I talk about this, since Kiki is our podcast producer today all the time. She's our (laughs) senior wellness editor, and we we have a book imprint, (laughs) and we spend- these things take so long that it's hard to stay attached oh, the, to them. The book, you mean? Yeah, books in general yeah, and, it takes and projects. Like, how do you still do you find that you have? Like, are you tired of it, or do you still have the same attachment and energy for it? Are you just? Re- I know this is the final season. I think I, I think we still have the same energy and drive, or or have had it. Mm-hmm. I think because it is still, while we're used to it, I mean, we've been doing this show for six years, but the web series for 10. Yeah. We're like used to this rhythm of the year, which is pretty much like 10 months of the year is mm-hmm. making the show, pretty much. So it's it's mostly my whole year. So there's not a big chunk to even like not be into it. But I think the fact that, I don't know, it's like, I think... 50 episodes felt so right because we thought we might get to that point. Mm-hmm. And also, it's very much about your, you know, your 20s. Yeah. And I'm not in my 20s anymore. But um, yeah, I'm not tired of it yet. It's definitely, it's just harder now to write for my 22-year-old self, like, because I'm not living that way anymore. Right. Like, when we we're closer to it, the show is a full shenanigan like every episode is shenanigans we say that a lot this season (laughs) but it's like i'm not as like my shenanigans now are different they're like not this you know like i'm just again i'm like mine would be about like writing a show now so that that became the thing where it's like we're not as close to those girls but we can still write in a bigger sense of like emotional stuff and just remembering how it felt, but I think that was the the right call. Mm-hmm. I felt very good about. I felt satisfied with that yeah. ending. And in your book, you write about wanting to how it's best when things end while they're still good. I love in the book how you say too that you don't or you were. I don't know if this was your belief or this is how you live, but you don't believe in Plan B, and so you yeah. don't have a Plan B. It's very brave. Well, that that was like the one thing I got out of going to the <laughs> acting conservatory. Yeah, it's a, that's a David Mamet belief, not, not mine. I stole that. Take that's it. my Mamet technique. <laughs> I trained with the Mamet sentence of not having a plan B. Yeah, I I don't think about it so much, but I do. I feel like once I realized I wanted to do this, I was like, I'll I'll work. All this other, can I curse? Yeah. Have I already? Okay. If I haven't already, (laughs) I'm not kidding. We might, I might need to know how long I've been talking because (laughs) that might be a record. Um, I worked so many shitty jobs while I was trying to do this thing, but they were never jobs that would be my plan B. Like, oh, they were just stuff that 
occupied my time and, and gave me money to like live in New York, but nothing like I was never pursuing a, a like a another course simultaneously, which a lot of people were mm-hmm. kind of like people were like doctors that would be at in, in my comedy classes, which and they felt like they were also on the same like trajectory but they were like also pursuing this thing mm-hmm. that was like a legit career too i was like what are you you're going to the er oh yeah yeah you go 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 to the er after this improv class <laughs> yeah well being a doctor is about improvisation right you know what it is i mean and some people are taking improv like it is applicable to anybody yeah but just the knowledge of like i'm not gonna try to do something else wholeheartedly at mm-hmm. all and also all those other jobs I did are all in the show. The Okay, so speaking of improv, which you which is so terrifying to me, I can't imagine doing it. You talk about how you do it. I didn't understand what this meant. The top of your intelligence? What does that mean? It's one of the lessons you're taught at UCB, Upright Citizens Brigade, which is to, when you step out on stage into a scene, you should use the top of your intelligence intelligence so never make the character if the character's dumb they're like uh you're still using the top of your intelligence to make this is difficult to explain (laughs) now that i'm doing it it's like um like overly intellectualize no this is a difficult thing to explain now that i've never been asked this Oh, I don't know how to explain <laughs> Will it make me funnier? No, if I but know it's how like, to do it. Um, it's almost like a dumb character is still written uh, intellectually. Right. Like Abby and Alana are, <laughs> you know, there, there are a lot of moments where we're like complete idiots. Right. But they're written at the top of our intelligence because we're doing it for a reason. There's like games, comedic mm-hmm. games that are being played that are funny because we are doing it on purpose. Got it. If that makes sense. Totally. <sighs> that totally oh makes sense. It was a lot of I was pressure. It was like oh a God. weird hack <laughs> that would just enlighten everyone on how no. to be funny. No, but I will say interviewing people requires a level of improvisation for sure because – I've had to do a couple interviews, not had, I've gotten to, where I was asking people questions about their books on on a stage. Mm-hmm. And it made me realize how difficult it is to be an interviewer. Because if the person does not give you anything, mm-hmm. or they answer very briefly, you right. have to like pull. You have to pull and like, and another one of the big lessons from improv that I got was yes and. Yeah. So it's not just like adding an agreement. It's adding an agreement and then on top of that, what else? Right. The build. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like the the continuity. Yeah. Like agree and then engage more, which right. is – you have to do that. I guess. There's no script in here. Thanks, Abby. Yep. So wait, were you were you always funny? I, I kind of think so. It's hard to see. <laughs> yeah. I, I did comedy stuff as a kid. Yeah. I did. I, was, I wrote a little bit about – I was really into SNL. I was my student council, home, uh, my homeroom's student council representative. And you have to like go to the meetings with all the representatives and then report back to your homeroom like what's going on in school. It was like in eighth grade. 
and I would report back as Linda Richmond oh, right. from SNL, Mike Myers' character. And Coffee I now cut. looking back, yeah, I'm like, <laughs> what? What the fuck? Like, I think my my teachers like got a kick out of it because why is this happening? Like, some kid is being Linda Richmond is like an older Jewish like grandma, <laughs> not a grandma. She's probably like sixty. Right? Yeah. You know the character? She might even 50? be like late 50s. Yeah. She might be 50s. Of course I know the character. Because she was, she was Mike Myers' mother-in-law. That's who it was inspired by. And I'm doing this accent to tell my other eighth grade students about the dance on Sunday. It was like so dumb. <laughs> but I was really into it. And then I veered away a little because comedy and acting just wasn't, it wasn't like an idea. I didn't think that would ever be a possible like mm-hmm. life to to even go after just because no, I've never met anyone that did that or right. not from a place where anyone like becomes an actor or a writer or anything. And so I went to art school, which is also like a ridiculous <laughs> career path or like difficult, but my parents are artists. So my brother and my dad are graphic designers. My mom is like a self, she was a potter growing up. So that felt more like at least I could, I could do it and I could draw well and I was, you know, it was more tangible. Right. So I did that and then I started doing video stuff at school and then I was like, I want to move to New York and and try to be an actor. Yeah. (laughs) For a week. (laughs) For a week. (laughs) I did do it. I didn't write it in there. I did do a part-time course at Atlantic for like two more months. Okay. Well, and then I was—I I think I quit that early too because I was like, I can't take it <laughs> for dramatic effect, guys. Yeah, it's a week in the yeah, book. Yeah, it's a week. You within the book, sort of the premise of the book, and I'm curious to know whether you were planning on doing a book and then you finally fell in love, or the your relationship and then the resulting road trip inspired you to write a book. Like, what was the chicken? Oh, whoa! And the I egg? haven't been asked that. No, it's. I was not planning on writing the book before I met her. No, mm-hmm. it was like, because that was like a while before the I wrote the book. And so I decided to write the book. I was like in the middle of this heartbreak in like the spring of 2017. And I decided as, so basically just to, to sum up what the book is. So I took a road trip from New York to LA uh, in the summer of 2017. I was like extremely heartbroken and very much overworked. And so the whole like winter and spring or basically 2017, I was like heartbroken. And and in the spring, Broad City's editing, we were editing season four and that was like the end was in sight and I was going to have this big break. I had to be in LA in three weeks. That's a big break for me. (laughs) And I was just, I realized like, oh, there's going to be this like empty space that like I don't have the show to distract me every day. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to drive. I have a car in in New York. I have to be in LA. I'm going to just drive by myself. I've never done that. Fuck it. Like this is an adventure. I need to like get out of anything I'm familiar with right now. And when I decided to do that, I then was like, I'm going to write a book about it. And I didn't know what was going to happen on the road trip. And I didn't even know that the book would necessarily be framed the way I, like the framework that I did, which Mm -hmm. was 
which is every every chapter is a city I stopped at. I didn't even know exactly what it was going to be, but I pitched it. It was like a it was sort of a manic time. <laughs> it was a fever dream of pitching. I'm like, what <laughs> what happened? But I went around town, pitched this book, and I basically just told people how I was feeling, and that I've been wanting to explore the essay. I hadn't really written in that length before. I'm used to writing scripts and. I told them how I was feeling. I was like, I don't know exactly what this is going to be. You're going to have to kind of just trust <laughs> that, I, <laughs> that I'll pull out something good. And and they did, they did which yeah. is crazy. That's not, that's not how books are usually sold. I realized that. And then I went on the trip. I didn't write on the trip. I like wrote in a journal and I took notes and I took a lot of photos. And then I got to LA in August and basically August 2017 to August 2018, I wrote the book. And I want to talk about the book, but I think it's interesting that you, because I relate to a lot of the book, like one, feelings of like on, I'm unlovable, not unlovable, but like your resistance to relationships. So mm-hmm. I want to talk to, about that Love and like it. how comedy factors into that. And then also the fact that you're a workaholic, which I totally relate to. So I thought that was an interesting battle yeah in the book itself when you're like don't think about work you're not allowed to work you're not allowed to write but you're recounting an experience like you oh I'm also it was work it was totally work but that was the only way because at this point I was like very anti-vacation because every time I tried to do something like that since the breakup I was just like I had never felt so depressed in my life I felt I feel like looking back after that time I definitely had kind of dealt with some depression before but that was like oh okay this is a thing and then I would every time I tried to kind of go on a vacation even if it was like a weekend Mm -hmm. uh, because we were shooting Brad City I was like this is terrible it just like amplifies it so I knew the only way I was going to go on a in quote vacation was to make it a project Mm -hmm. which is like insanity like that's like not healthy but also, it kind of was like taking care of myself, but it was fully work. Yeah. Was it healing? Yeah, I'm so happy I did it. I mean, it was like tough. Mm-hmm. There were moments where I was like, what a fucking idiot I am. Like, <laughs> And like, what am I doing? And like, I picked the wrong, I like, you know, like I write a lot, I picked Utah. the wrong places. Yeah, I mean, the, I... <laughs> That was very Thinking scary. You were going to be and I, like, you know, I, there was like this, like regret. Not, re- I don't have any regrets about where I went and all that. But it, I have to like go back to those places because there's some stuff that I, like, I, I didn't like really like hike in the places I wanted to hike. Right, and you ate a lot of Whole Foods, which I, I respect. I know it, it felt very douchey to write about that, <laughs> but it was just like it I, was very like I didn't plan a lot, so it was very like. Well, I'm not going to be precious about this. Mm-hmm. I liked that. And I liked yeah. at the end that you were sort of acknowledging of the fact that you didn't do a very good job of like milking everyone's recommendations of these towns. No. Like you sort of just found whatever and ate whatever and drank a lot of coffee and yeah. made yourself avocado toast. I respect <laughs> that. But sometimes you need that kind of a trip where you're like, this isn't about the places at all. Right. I could have gone a totally you know, different route and I think probably had the same kind of experience. Like the places definitely had an imprint on me and I reacted to what was happening. But this was definitely like an inner journey versus like 
a lot of times you go to see the sites and that's, I don't know, it's just much more like activity driven, like planned out. And this Mm -hmm. was just like, I need to like wander around. Mm -hmm. And sit in it, it seemed like. Exactly, I needed to sit in it. It seemed, and so your grief from the breakup, do you feel like because you hadn't really allowed yourself to do that before, or maybe you'd never had the opportunity to do that before, that it was like compounding the grief, that there was a lot more wrapped up in yeah, the response probably. to it? Like I, yeah, I think so. It was probably a mix of the actual situation and yeah, just like, oh my gosh, I can experience this. Mm-hmm. You know, I obviously like had had other relationships. It just was very different. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, w- once you 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 realize you're capable of something, and then it gets taken away or goes away, you you're like, fuck. Well, maybe this will. I, I I was right all along. Like this will never happen again. Or there, it was a lot mm-hmm. of stuff. <laughs> Um, and I had be- I had built I think we like build up this thesis of like who we are, mm-hmm. and then it gets like sh- shook by all these different things. So it got fully shaken when I fell in love with someone, and then I was like, oh, this is like what life can be like. And then it was like kind of shaken back to being like, well, fuck, you know, yeah. like and yeah. I don't know if that if I answered that no, well. No, totally. I think it's interesting. I spent my 20s subscribed to the, the belief that I was meant to be single, that I liked it. It's a control thing for me too. I liked the – there was no vacillation. I'd had relationships, some which were more pleasant than others, one in particular that made me feel really terrible. And so I, I like didn't enjoy the vacillation in emotion – Right. So I was like, I'll just, if I am in control of how I feel by like not feeling that much, then this is a much smoother ride. And I kind of made it that way. And I treated dating like a sport, like you. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, then I met my husband and that was it. But even that wasn't very tumultuous. So it's interesting. I wonder if like your next relationship will not be like any, an extreme vacillation. Yeah, I don't know. Are you are you gonna have? Are you over it? Or Am I you- gonna have one? <laughs> are you are you back to feeling like you? I don't know. Like I I'm like I date people. I'm not like dating one person right now, but I don't know. I'm kind of like trying not to think about it so much. I'm of two minds because I'm very much about power of attraction when it comes to my career. Mm-hmm. Like I really go after things. In, in that area. And then in this area, I fluctuate between – I write about in the book how I'm, I'm very proactive about asking people out. And then sometimes I'm like, fuck this bullshit. Like I just like don't even want to think about it. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I'm not sure. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Stay tuned. Stay tuned for more. <laughs> I'm not sure what will happen. I don't know. I, I'm not sure. Let's take a quick break. One of the perks of working at Goop is getting to try the latest recipes that come out of the test kitchen. Our food editors, Caitlin and Anna, are probably the most well-liked people in our office. 
You might have heard them on the podcast a little while back talking to GP about her new cookbook, The Clean Plate. They're both great. Primarily, Caitlin and Anna come up with new recipes for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, or they're cleaning up some version of a favorite snack. But occasionally, they get into drinks, and that's when you really want to be around the test kitchen for sampling. Caitlin and Anna have gotten pretty prolific with their cocktails using Kettle One Botanical. They did a riff on the classic sea breeze using hibiscus tea, lime juice, and Kettle One Botanical grapefruit and rose. That one might be my favorite. If you want to test it out yourself, check out their recipe on goop.com. And if you're coming to our summit in Goop Health this March in New York City, we'll be serving up Kettle One Botanical there. Depending on the kind of cocktail you're in the mood for, Kettle One Botanical comes in a couple of other flavors. There's also cucumber and mint and peach and orange blossom. You can shop Kettle One Botanical online at drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. I always felt like guys' razors were designed a little bit better, and I've been known to go for my husband's razor in the past, but I'm pretty beholden to my own now. It's made by a brand called Flamingo. If you know Harry's, the men's grooming brand, Flamingo uses the same German engineer technology as Harry's to create super high-quality, five-blade cartridges. Only the Flamingo version is designed for women, so it glides across all the right places – legs, ankles, knees, armpits, bikini line, etc. The razor has a grippy handle, which comes in three colors, and it has little rose gold details. There's also an adaptable hinge. So the razor looks pretty in the shower caddy, but you'll keep it around because it makes for a precise, clean shave. And that feeling of getting into bed and slipping under the covers is somehow just better. If you test drive Flamingo yourself, I think you'll agree that it's up to par with the best men's blade standards at Harry's. And the same $9 price may be even a little better. You can pick up a Flamingo razor and blade refill pack at shopflamingo.com backslash goop. And for goop listeners, it's free shipping. That's shopflamingo.com backslash goop. Let's get back to Abby Jacobson. You don't strike me as the sort of person who's going to end up alone. Mm, well, I only time will tell, right? I know. But it's good fodder. Yeah. I, that's like, I always thought it was fun and funny and good stories to dine out on. Like the absurd things. I think it's a New York thing too, dating in New York. Mm-hmm the things that would happen um, until I was like, this is really boring. And I didn't have anywhere to put it because I'm not a comedy writer. Right. I put, yeah, I put a lot of it in the show. It's a little different now because I definitely used to date way more casually. And now I'm like, it's weird to go out <laughs> like to a bar uh, now. Why? I just, I always feel like, yeah, yeah, it's a, I can't tell, it's an insecurity of mine where I'm like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. Because you feel like people are aware that you're there? Mm -hmm. Or or no, I just, I feel like the, like something about like someone knowing the show. I don't know. Mm. It's just this weird thing. Okay. So that's, let's talk about that for a second and comedy and like who you really are and then... (laughs) No, but Maybe we'll, we'll find out together here. I don't know. Out. So for you, and I'm curious if you can speak for all comics worldwide. I, <laughs> I am often sent to do so. How, how, because I know people like this where it is a defense mechanism, right? Like jokes are a defense mechanism or barrier or a way to not really be seen in some ways. 
do you feel, and I think I felt that way as I tried to be funny unsuccessfully. So I just decided I would find everyone else funny and laugh at their jokes, which is a good, I've found it to be a good role to play, but yeah. everyone wants to think everyone, that they're funny. Yeah. You're like, hang, I'll I'm hang the out best crowd. Yeah. yeah. So, um, the best audience, but how for you, do you find that it's, that it's something that allowed you to hide? Does that make sense? I know what you're saying. I I don't feel like I do that. At least, I mean, Broad City is my main thing where I get to, yeah, most, it's just the main thing where I get to express myself and that's like my main voice outlet. And, and on, on the show, I mean, my character and, you know, we write for each other also and writing for the other characters have our experiences too, but at least like, my my character and getting to play that character is very much like she's not hiding anything it's mm-hmm. it's almost like i get to personally expose all my insecurities through her and then i don't have to do it yeah like it's very freeing yeah i mean she like says it all out loud like <laughs> rambles like I, like no one talks out loud more than her which is my fucking favorite thing to do she's like oh my god you know like who are you talking to <laughs> I love that that about TV. So funny. (laughs) One of the things that I love about your humor in the book too is the revelations that I think are universal. Like when you're talking, you when you were in Kanab, Kanab, Utah. I think it's Kanab, but I'm not. I'm not sure. And you are amidst the sea of of modest Mormon women, and then you rent my best friend wedding, my best friend's (laughs) wedding. How? And you make the point, like, how is she this feared and respected food critic at the age of 27? I remember being bothered by that. Well, I... And I feel like it's not discussed. I don't think I was bothered by it when I first saw it because... You were 13? I think I was probably, yeah, I was probably 13. <laughs> so I was like, whoa, what are the 20s like? It's so, gl- like, glamorous. People are, like, scared of you in restaurants, like, you know, like... And they know who you are. I know. It was very, Which but is, then I, it, it was like, I've seen that movie or parts of it like on TV or like in planes, but never full in so long that I was like, wait, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. I And I think I had to look up like how old she actually was. Like I was like, what is going on here? Right. Yeah. She's 27 and they made a pact that by the time they're 28, if they are not with someone, that they're going to marry each other. And I'm like, what the fuck kind of message is that sending? As if 28 is the time where you should be giving up. Yeah, that was the predominant message. I feel like it's shifted. I'm a little bit older than you are. And I feel like that there was definitely like a spinster at 30 vibe going on when I was in my 20s. Oh, yeah. It was a real deadline. And it was, then you became scary and then everyone wanted to know what was wrong with you. And I feel like that's Is past. that what's happening right here? No. I Do feel you like see? that. Am I scary? And- <laughs> no. I think that that's gone. I think it's gone. Right? Yeah. I think it's, it's, I think it's gone. I think now if that movie, yeah, you, they couldn't do that movie so young. Yeah. Like it would probably be 40 or 50, it'd probably be 50. Yeah. Or it wouldn't even be about marriage. It wouldn't be made. Right. No, it wouldn't. <laughs> but it might because there are a lot of rom-coms that are, sorry, terrible. That's why I do love that movie because it is a delightful it's rom-com. They are not 
Yeah, and she, I mean, the end of that, this, you don't know because I literally watched the scene so much when I was writing this because when my favorite part, I'm sorry, we're going to, you can edit this out. When Rupert Everett calls her at the fucking wedding and he's like, I bet you just tapping those fingers up. and and he's there. Come on. That's so good. That's right. And this is what I did on my road trip. And please read the this exact commentary in my book all about that film from the 90s. One of the most like sweet, like my heart went out to you when you went and had your aura <laughs> read. That essay when I get to that aura reading place is so exactly what happened. Yeah. Like yeah. I I could not believe I was so, um, what's it called? You can't, like, I was like, this is bullshit. Totally. I just was like, I'll go. You have to get your R read in Sedona. <laughs> and. Uh, you heard it, heard it here. Yeah. Like, I, like that was one of the one things everyone said to me. And so I was like, all right, I'll find a place. And I went. And I was like, oh, man, as soon as I went in, it was like it was a legit like half a closet with a curtain and a like Dell desktop computer, a weird thing, like a mouse that I put my hand on and like a Velcro camera on the top. And I was like, this is the most like bullshit thing I've ever done. It This is a like fraud, like like this is a hoax, whatever. And I just like I'm non-confrontational, so I <laughs> – like wouldn't have been able to leave, you know? I was like, I guess I'm in here. The woman is like here and she's like, you know, I had to go through with it. And then, you know, it was like a printout. I thought it would be like an actual photo, like the ones you've seen people right. with the color. It's like a printout. It's like so, so non-impressive. And I'm like, oh, and they're like, well, now you go to the reading. And I was like, I couldn't leave still because I was like, fine, I, like I'm going to pay for it. And we went up to like the tiniest little room up in a mini mall <laughs> off the side of the road in Sedona. And this woman was, I was, I was just like, why am I in here? What a fucking idiot. Like, just like, why did I even do this? And the first thing she said was, okay, I'm going to invite Jesus in to join. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. now that's what. Yeah, obviously. I was like, this is so dumb, so dumb. And then she starts and I like it was I was a mess. It was crazy. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, it was that was not fun. And I I was like so confused like how that happened. <laughs> I it was interesting too because uh, you said I I I'm probably not quoting you right, but essentially you were like, maybe these are things that are, and I think everyone who's had a reading like that has that experience of like, how is this person telling me about myself? Yes. Am I just like everyone else? And then Where they're like, like if they were saying, it seems like you're looking for something. Right. Where something feels like it's missing. I'm like, they could say that to anyone and you'd be like, wow. Yeah, that's me. So I, like the broader things that we all struggle with. And so I was like, I'm not going to give this woman anything right not gonna say anything about myself nothing I think I even gave a different name because I was like what if in between the, they like look me I don't even know you know right. I was like no no like it's not gonna happen and there's no way that she could say to everyone she was like I 
feel like, yeah, she was like, it seems like you've given up on love and you've made your life about work. And I was like, like, there's no way she could say that about everyone. What if like people don't have jobs? Like they couldn't, like she couldn't. No, totally. But I think that's, those are the qualities of a good reading. And then it's really weird. And it's always things that you know to be true. It's so weird. I've been wanting to do another, not an aura reading, but I've been wanting to do like another. Oh, girl, you came to the right place. I know. Give me some tips. What You have to tell me what you want and I'll. I don't know. I just think, I think if anything, so I did go to one in LA. I write about it. The one who wouldn't see you because you were 15 (sighs) minutes late? Yeah. In Beverly Hills, this woman was, it was fucked up I, and I, it was so so early in the broad city we were like writing the script and I was like this town is terrible after that and she was like she's like a renowned person I think that's but weird though that was a, like a psychic what do you want I don't know what are the things what what do, do you recommend I I mean it's the the menu is wide. There are mediums. There are like intuitive. I don't coaches. mediums like talk to dead, dead people. people. Yes, I don't think I want that. Then you shouldn't go to a medium. It's That's always, like unfinished. You like kind of want to right? Potentially, it's typically they're really like mass. They're psychics and beyond. Like they're the most masterful. I see. So they can usually do some of like the intuitive stuff. I have some ideas for you. Yeah? Yeah. Oh my God, I'm excited. Yeah. I th- I'm i a little afraid that it, they'll tell me something true that's bad. They won't. Like okay. a good person typically, not that they're hiding things from you, but it seems like the information they get is really just to help you. Like it's like to help you achieve your higher purpose or your soul purpose. It's, I've never heard something from anyone legit that was scary okay. or dark or bad. All right. That's you know? that's good to know. Yeah. Um I'll I'll um fill your phone with recommendations. Okay. I'm excited. So your chapter on being a boss. Mm-hmm. So I know the book just came out, but have you become any I'm similar. You talk about being able to like email out email out requests and demands mm-hmm. and that when you have to ask someone for something in person. You feel like you're in a yoga class trying not to fart. Yes. <laughs> Are you any more comfortable? And do you have any tips on how to delegate or direct? I think, honestly, this is something I'll probably always struggle with. But I think sometimes those, it's important to always like check yourself in that way. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, if you're fully confident about your, like all your, insecurities like if all of them are gone then I feel like there's I don't know I think you can always get better at that is what I'm saying I think that Alana and I were just talking about this recently it's I think it's how you do it Mm -hmm. how you do like how you delegate that it matters the most because like I think we've both probably been delegated to the wrong way. Mm-hmm. So you like know how that comes off. And I think that's why I'm insecure about it. Cause I feel like I'll be like, Oh God, they're going to think I'm such an asshole, but it's like, no, just do it in a respectful way. And then you're not, you're not at all. Yeah. Like it, so it's just how you do it. But do you think though that that's true? Or do you feel like you'd still feel uncomfortable asking for things? 
Because I think mine come from, comes from a place of feeling like embarrassed or like unworthy to ask for, or like, I don't know. You mean like asking someone to like get you something or asking yeah, for, for like a revision or, yeah. 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 I mean, it's a mix. I think it depends for me. And again, it does, it has not gone away. Yeah. But I still do it. Totally. But I think the more I actually confront it head on, over email, like instead of doing an email, the better I get at it. Yeah. But I hate that. I hate doing it. Yeah. Where it's so much easier to ask somebody for anything on email. <laughs> I know it's true. But it seems like it goes that there are two directions, that there are people who are sort of assholes about it, right? We we all know who those people are, who like flex, who, mm-hmm. who feel the need to have an assistant, even though they maybe don't need an assistant. And then it's the opposite. It's like... I feel like it's it is crippling for a lot of women I know who feel like they cannot ask for help. I just don't know what it is. I know. I don't know either. You'll figure it out. I hope, <laughs> I hope so. Uh, I think it's pra- I think it's practice and also f- figuring out how to exercise self-confidence because like, yeah, I use the, the asking for help thing when I'm talking about directing because a big insecurity for me is like, you know, on a set, everyone's an expert at something. And as a director, you're not supposed to know all those jobs too. But sometimes I get insecure about not knowing all the lenses. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's not my job. It's okay to ask like, it's okay to rely on other people. That's their job. But I get insecure about not, you know, not knowing everything. And then I have to remind myself, no, I'm I'm here to do this part, which is sort of like conduct the whole process. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I, I think it's just sort of like I clearly, if you read this book, I think it through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like go over everything a lot with myself, but I also go over a lot with Alana. Like it's good to have someone to like, be like, you feel like this too, right? Mm-hmm. Thanks for dropping into Elisa's chat with Abby Jacobson. I hope it made you smile. For more from Abby, pick up a copy of her book. I might regret this. Tune into Broad City on Comedy Central and check out our podcast series, A Piece of Work. Okay, it's AMA time. How do you measure your success as a parent? What pillars are you constantly referring to when trying to help your kids become the best versions of themselves? Christine asks. Oh, gosh. I mean, I think parenting is, it's such a process. It's an endless lesson. Um, every phase of their lives is so different and, and teaches me so much. It's really important to me that my children have good manners and empathy and respect. It's difficult sometimes to always model the things that you want to be modeling for your kids because we're all human and sometimes we model behaviors that we don't want them to replicate. But I, I keep coming back to those pillars of open communication, kindness, respect, politeness. If you have a question you'd like me to answer here, send it over to Goop on Instagram or Facebook. 
thanks again for tuning into the Goop Podcast. We'll be back next week on Tuesday and Thursday. Tuesday continues our special relationship series that is running all of February. To keep up, just hit subscribe. And if you have a chance, please rate, review, and share with a friend. For more info, head to coop.com slash the podcast.